We are going through Romans. And uh, Romans is an amazing, amazing passage. We have gone through Romans 1 to 10. This next section, we're going through Romans 11 to 16. And, uh, and so really, really on it and excited about what God is saying in this passage. Now, some people would argue that Romans, that Romans um, 11 to 16 is the boring part of Romans. They'd be like, this is, you know, we've gotten through like the canon inside of canon, which is Romans 5 to 8, Nine's kind of interesting, 10 we're starting to wean off, and, and, and 11 on starts to just be about stuff that I don't really care much about, you know, it's just like the Jews and what's going on and how we live our life and all this stuff, and it seems kind of like Paul's trying to wind down his argument, but in reality, it's actually not like that. What's going on here is really an understanding of the genuine gospel of Jesus, where God is saying something really important is happening here, and we're seeing something of the nature of who God is. And so this is, this is key for us to be able to understand. Now, the struggle is Paul starts talking in metaphors. That's fun. Um, so now we have to start working through metaphors. Actually, I just want to pause. Um, Slack. This is happening right now. People are on Slack and people are talking about be wanting to be involved in VBS and all this other stuff. And, uh, and so I have a would you rather question. All right, would you rather is kind of fun. So would you rather thinking and talking in metaphors or thinking and talking in concrete terms. So would you, would you rather talk about like what you could see, touch, feel, or would you rather talk through metaphors and word pictures? Just, I wanna hear some preference. Um, I, I talk to a lot of people, and some people love to talk about in similes and metaphors. They say, oh, it's like a lake on a windy day, and, and then they expand how their random picture actually ties into what everybody else is talking about, and sometimes you're like, I lost you. I don't know. Um, and, and it's somewhat clever, and it takes a, another level of listening to understand. But I talk to, I talk to other people that say, don't give me a picture. Just tell it to me straight. I just want to know exactly what it is. And that's another challenge, especially when we're talking, what we're talking about isn't actually tangible. So even if it was tangible, it, the question is, uh, can I really understand what I'm talking about? Well, think of my mechanic. My mechanic speaks in very tangible terms to me, but I'm not a mechanic. And so he's using all of the technical, tangible language that actually means something. And I'm like, Bleh. anybody else looked at your mechanic like it's, it's clunking? Like, I don't know what you're saying, but it's clunking, right? That's, that's kind of the way I talk to my mechanic. He yells at me sometimes. Uh, we have a good relationship. See, on cue. Um, you could be a mechanic. Um, so this is, this is what's going on. Let's get to our text, and then I'll find out what you guys would prefer to talk about. Romans 11, 17 to 24. God, I pray that you would give our hearts attention and understanding as we dive into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. But if some of the branches are broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it's not you who support the root, 
but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches are broken off that I might be grafted in. And that's true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So don't become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is naturally a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back in to their own olive tree? For God has consigned, I'm jumping to 32, for God has consigned all to disobedience that he would have mercy on all. All right. So this is a perfect example of the use of a metaphor to explain God's invitation into his kingdom while holding on to God's faithfulness. Paul's saying that God has grafted us into, he's grafted the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, into a Jewish promise. But God's not done with the Jews yet. Paul contends that Israel's unbelief is only temporary and Abraham's promise must still count for something. The rejection of the Jews is not final. Okay, so what would you rather? Let's, quick survey, let's see. Concrete, 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 metaphor, 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 metaphor. They're winning. Concrete, it's even both. Oh, cheater. Um, concrete, concrete, both, concrete, riddles. Hmm. Metaphors, concrete, and can you convey concrete through abstract examples? That's called a metaphor. All right. So what we have here is most of us like to think in concrete terms. Thank you. We are a product of post-enlightenment North American context. We think in concrete terms. That's the way we are. That's the way we function. We want to get down to brass tacks. We want to just be like, here's a bottom line. You, you know, it's, it's not about the this and the that. It's just tell it to me straight. That's kind of the way North Americans are. That's the way that we thought about the world. It's, it's our culture. And so there are other cultures that that's too direct. That's too, like, no, we're not doing it like that. We're going to explain everything over here, and we're going to build these images. So right now, it doesn't matter what you preferred because Paul likes metaphors. So, sorry, we're going into the metaphors. Um, the... the the tree that the Christians are grafted into is the heritage we hold on to. The Bible uses the image of an olive tree. So the olive tree becomes, uh, becomes this image. And, and we're going to touch on why it's an olive tree in a moment because I think culture actually plays into that. The tree supports the gospel of Jesus. This is, this is the inclusion. You are part of this. 
Jesus has invited you in. Without the Jewish heritage, the gospel of Jesus fails to reveal God or God's faithfulness. If, if Jesus is born outside of a Jewish context, there is no concept in which Jesus' actions point to anything. If he is not Jewish, if he does not understand Torah, if he does not understand Yom Kippur, if he doesn't understand temple worship, if the people around don't get the image of the Old Testament, Jesus is a floating anomaly, a person unrooted to anything because what, what of a man who dies and rises again with no story around? What does it mean? It, it's surprising. It's strange. It's, it's odd. It's curious. It means nothing until it's brought into the context of Judaism. Once Jesus' story is brought into the story of Judaism, everything starts to make sense. Now we understand why we have a healer. Now we understand why we have a person who's establishing a kingdom. Now we understand why we have a person who dies and rises again. Now we understand sacrifice and atonement. Without the Jewish context, none of that makes sense. None of it happens. And so Jesus is, is part of this Jewish context, the Jewish heritage the only way the narrative of Jesus makes sense is through this lens. And this lens gives us a future hope. This lens ties us forward to the best things. It allows us to see what God is doing. If you remove Jesus from this, we have an image of God made in our North American likeness rather than the God of the universe. So someone on Slack says, some ideas and concepts can only be described with metaphors. How do you explain what ice cream tastes like if you've never tasted it without a more universal experience to compare it to? That comes from a vegan. <laughs> it's very true. Um, that's a very, very hard thing to do. So we need these metaphors. And the metaphor we're using right here is an olive tree. Now, olive trees are really interesting because they can actually, like apple trees and other fruit-bearing trees, they do a really good job of, of accepting grafted branches. They, they, they connect and heal and nourish a grafted branch. And so that's able to produce fruit. And so this is really vital for us to understand. Jesus is the one who's grafting branches in. The branches are actually individuals in this. Uh, the pronouns in this passage are second person singular, so they're individuals. You are grafted in, where it's like you're grafted in, and you're grafted in, and you're included, and you're included. Um, and here's the crazy thing. Jesus is the one who is grafting in, and Jesus is the one who is cutting off. It's not church, it's not opinion, it's not anybody else. It's Jesus is the one who is cutting off. And that should give us both, uh, Paul says, it should, give you, um, it should give you pause. You should consider the kindness and the severity 
the kindness in that you're grafted in, the severity in that he's the one doing the cutting off. He's the one saying, nope, nope, not me. Okay, he's the one who's cutting off. So here's a question for you. Is using fear of being cut off a useful tool for spiritual growth? Jesus is the one who's grafting in, and he's the one who's cutting off. Is using fear of being cut off a useful tool for spiritual growth? Just really interested in what your opinion on that is. Branches are cut off because of unbelief. So, what is unbelief? We need to be aware of our own biases when it comes to words. Uh, again, we've been talking a lot about our culture, what we prefer. We prefer concrete. We also like to do something really interesting with the word unbelief or belief. We say belief is a cognitive acceptance. That's what belief is. I believe that, you know, I am going to go home after church. I cognitively accept I'm going to go home after church. I believe it. Doesn't mean it's true. I might not go home after church, but I believe it. So we actually take belief as kind of like a, a projection of a wish. I hope I go home after church. I believe I'll go home. It's like a, it's a softer piece of language in, in our context. It's when I'm not quite sure. Well, I believe it's around 4.30. You know, I don't really know, but I believe it is. Well, in the context that this is talked about, belief is not what you hope for. When the Bible talks about belief or unfaithfulness, the Bible talks about it's unbelief is the lack of faithful follow-through. It's the lack of actually putting the rubber on the road of saying, yes, this is what it is. So, so the Jews went into exile not because they stopped giving mental assent that there's a God. The Bible's very clear that they went into exile because they were unfaithful. They did not believe that doing things God's way was going to be God's solution. They were unfaithful. They did not believe that God was the righteous way to go. They believed that the world's way was actually working better. Oh, shoot, guys. Here's the challenge today. We say we believe in God. Do we believe that following God faithfully will bring about the eternal results that we hope for? Or do we just give mental assent in our, in our life? We act our real beliefs, which means we live the exact same way the world lives with the same values and constructs and ideas of justice and ideas of, of how to get what I want. Do we believe right? 
I want to go back to the Slack question for a second. You know, I was using fear of being cut off a useful tool, and I'm going to come back to this belief thing. So is, being, is, is fear being use, uh, a useful tool for spiritual growth? If somebody says, is fear in any relationship a good thing? And I, I think that the Bible is, is quite interesting in that because there is an element of fear in our relationship with God. We did a sermon series on that, what, what do you fear? You can look it up on YouTube. Fear has been a useful part of life for most of humanity, whether fear of snakes to help us avoid being bitten and die. I see, I see no reason for a healthy fear that a healthy fear of God can't be used to help us. Remember how blessed we are to be graced with God's unending love. Is fear useful? Not really. When we're afraid of being cut off, then we misunderstood the gospel. Being afraid Im- implies not wanting to be cut off but it implies still loving God, and with that mindset, will never be cut off. Um, the, uh, in sales, there's a, there's a technique called the takeaway, and it's a powerful motivator. I believe that we fear our consequences. It's an interesting piece, right? How do we fear our consequences? Um, and, and how does that do? First John says, fear, perfect love drives out fear. Someone else says, I committed my life to Christ out of the fear of hell. So fear is something that's, that's really important. Fear of separation is effective for me personally. If I, if, I, if I have a fear, I recognize that I don't actually have all the control. A lot of times fear has to do with control, right? If I fear, I recognize humbly I can't change this situation God is truly in control. And so I recognize that I have a loss of control here. I fear God because he's the one who actually determines my future. I don't have that control anymore. I look at, I look at what's going on with Bradford United Church, and I don't have the control to change the outcomes. And I put my faith and my fear in God, who is sovereign above all. I don't run in anxiety or, or, or I don't run scared, but I don't have that control. So fear never got me to stay in the long run. That is very true. But the word is branches were cut off because of unbelief, and now we've, now we've moved into this belief thing. We've recognized that belief is actually more akin to being faithful We're not talking about an intellectual ascent. We're talking about being faithful and being unbelieving is doing it my own way, taking up my own solutions to life and not relying on God, making treaties with the world. Think about Israel making treaties with with Egypt or Assyria. It's making treaties with the world to protect my own safety. Too often we say correct affirmations, but we disregard the fact that what you affirm is lived out in how you make your decisions. Biblical belief is aligning your life under the authority of God and under the fulfillment of his faithfulness. That's what biblical belief is. Aligning your life under the authority of God. 
that his way, even though it doesn't look like it's going to iron out, even though it looks like if you just fought a little harder or pressed a little harder or went around this person's back a little bit more to get what you wanted, you would move ahead in life. And God's way might be telling you, no, 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 there's a better option for you. It's my way. And you're like, but God, your way is so weak and so passive and so non-active and so, huh. Anybody ever felt that with God? Honestly? My God, it feels, his ways feel so weak. I'm way more assertive than God. And God's like, I got this. Put your faith in me. Believe me. Believe me. It's not the way you thought it was going to be. But it's better. Okay, I want to talk about this olive tree. It's, it's a groomed and it's a civilized tree. Paul has a high regard for the promises of God to Israel. And the wild branch is an uncivilized Gentile. Look at the dichotomy that's happening. The olive tree is civilized. The Gentiles are the uncivilized. Look at the language. Now, I want you to compare the language to the context. If we know anything about the Roman Empire, which is the context, Rome equals civilization and the barbarians are the uncivilized. Paul's taking Roman language. He's writing to the Romans. He's taking an olive tree. Think about the Olympics, which actually existed back then. We don't, well, they're in the beginnings, you know, and we don't think about that. Think about the, the wreath, the olive wreath that Caesar would wear as a, thro as a throne or as a crown. The olive tree represents civilization. It represents the right thing. It represents the honor and the, and the empire. It represents everything that is good and everything else is uncivilized. He's taking that language and he's saying, hey, you Christians who put belief in God, you are truly the civilized. You are truly the ones who have it right. And the other people, the other cultures, are the ones who are the barbarians. He's changing the terms on the Romans, saying you're not, you're not in because you're Roman. You're not civilized because you're Roman, because you followed man's ways. You're civilized because you put your faith and belief in Jesus Christ. That's crazy, right? This metaphor is actually saying, don't do it like the world. The world says you're better off if you do it like this and you live in, in this peace and, and all of these things. But, but Paul's saying, no, 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 the real peace is found in belief in Jesus Christ. And he's taking the national symbol of Rome and he's saying, Jesus it's a corrective. It's a push. Now, in our culture, we have our, we have our national symbols of success. We have our ways of doing things. Put your trust in that, and you'll be civilized. Put your trust in being a part of the strong, tax-paying, middle-class people. You'll be true, civilized culture. Man, and, and God's calling us to something way greater. Be grafted in from that wild tree into Jesus Christ. Be grafted into Jesus. What a metaphor, eh? Like, hello, 
Someone says that fear sharpens the senses, and it's absolutely true. Um, so we rely on our faith, on, on faith in Jesus, and we can't conflate this with other metaphors. Some would say, you know, cut off because of sin, and, and then imply that we remain grafted in because of our good actions. That is not what Paul is saying in the entire book of Romans. Paul is saying what you are actually putting your faith in, your belief in, your, your entire life structure in that's going to bring you that success, that civilized, that, that, that order in your life, if you're putting it in the systems of the world, that's not going to work. You put it into Jesus and you put it into the hope of God, that's going to work. He's saying, I need you to shift this. It's not about, oh, oh, my sin tally, and if I sin too much, I'm going to get cut off. No, no, no. What system am I putting my faith in? Am I putting it in the, in the system of the world, or am I putting it in God and his faithfulness? So we cannot conflate these things. We cannot read into the text and say, if you, be, you better behave better, or you're going to be cut off. You should read into the text. If I put my faith in the ways of the world to control the things in the world for my benefit, I'm in danger. But if I put my faith in Jesus, I'm grafted in. And so this is what's happening here. Um, this is, this is where, where Paul is going. See, there's two dangers that happen. Part of, part of the unfaithfulness is being, is being dis, discarded in self-reliance on my own behavior. This is, this is what's happening. When we become a Christian, we become so reliant on our good behavior. I'm a good moral citizen because I'm a Christian. And we rely on our good behavior to the point that when somebody is bad behaving, we, we see ourselves as better than, and we go, nope, you're not good enough, and we cut them off. Now, we're just relying on the same world systems. For the Jews, that was, we're good. God's promised us. Nothing's going to happen to us. So they started relying on themselves and assumed on God's grace. And God said, no, you're not good. Rely on me, not yourself. For the Gentiles, the danger is, we're good. We replace the Jews. We're so good now. We're better than the Jewish forebears. Whatever. They were, they were a doomed religion anyways. God is going to have mercy on us because they were so bad. And, they started, and then we start living under the same rule. Be a good moral person. Do all this stuff good. And we start putting faith in our own systems instead of in Christ. Both errors generate pride. Both errors say it's about me and not about Christ. When you are grafted in, not only are you not cut off, but you get the benefit of the strength of the tree that helps you grow. Erwin McManus says the most spiritual thing you can do is make a choice. So does believing and being faithful that Jesus, Lord, do a good enough job at fixing our ego and pride? Think about that. Does believing that Jesus is Lord fix our ego and our pride? Think about the words there. Jesus is Lord. 
What does that do to our ego? The call is consistent repentance. Romans 11, 23 to 24, Otherwise you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you are cut off by what, from what is by nature a wild olive tree, grafted and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own tree? You're grafted in and continue to be grafted in by putting your faith in Christ as Lord of your life. So what did you guys say? Does believing that the Lord, that Jesus Lord, do a good enough job at fixing our ego and our pride? Someone said, that's heavy. It brings our pride to light. It makes our ego subservient to God. When we can understand Jesus is Lord, we start to see that our ego becomes subservient. In our Bible study this morning, we're reading Romans 10. Next Sunday, we're reading Romans 11. 10.3, they did not know righteousness that comes from God, but they sought and established their own I have a spiritual discipline called, called changing, challenging the ego, and it consists of contemplating on who God is. And as I go deeper and learn more, my ego has no choice but to loosen its grip. Uh, someone says, yes, you will become more like him when you believe that Jesus is Lord. Jesus, Lord, does take us off the top spot, but maybe it doesn't put us far enough down. Someone at home said, we listen to what the Lord says. See, it challenges our ego and our pride, doesn't it? When we acknowledge, this is the whole point of the Romans letter, that Jesus is Lord, and we acknowledge that this is what's happening. You're grafted in. You continue to be grafted in by putting your faith in Jesus, Lord of your life. And that's the hope for Israel too. The hope for Israel is that they too will put their faith in the faithful work of God through Jesus as the promised Messiah and the Lord who's invited them to be grafted in again. See, it's a warning that always has hope. It's your life in submission to Jesus. Do you believe in such a way that it alters your life? It's transformative. You put your life-altering faith in Jesus. Do you believe that? Have you seen the changes in your life? The Jews have been cut off because of their unfaithfulness and pride. They can also be grafted in because of their faithfulness and their faith in Jesus. There's a remnant of those who will put their faith in Jesus who call themselves Jews. Verse 32, because God consigned all of us to disobedience, not to moral imperfection, but to the push against Jesus, Lord. He's consigned all of us in there so that he could have mercy on all of us. Our ego and our pride only changes when we realize that Christ is beyond us. 
We need to humble ourselves. We are not better than anybody. We are sinners. The ground is level at the cross. No one is better because Jesus is Lord. So it makes us live in humility towards each other. Will God have mercy on us all? Yes, all of us who put our faith in Jesus. It's open access to every single human being. God will have grace and mercy on all of us as we are drawn in, and even drawn in sometimes by jealousy. The Bible talks about that. The, maybe the Jews would become jealous. Right? So cool. God's not done with us yet. Today there's still room for you, and there's still room for your greatest enemy. You think you've arrived, be careful lest you start to think it was something that you accomplished over and above God's work. You who think you do not belong, do not undervalue God's grace. He's taken you a wild branch and he can put you into a cultivated tree. He will change you and the process of changing you, you will see how great God is. We continue to struggle with ego all our lives and need to continually reassert the lordship of Jesus in our life. And so I want to lead us in a prayer today, whether you're at home or whether you're here in the sanctuary. I'm going to ask people to stand just across the room. In your heart, I, we've done communion and we've said, you know, Jesus took his, the body and he took his blood and he said, do this in remembrance of me. And today I'm going to ask you to evaluate your heart position or what are you putting your active belief in? What's shaping you? What are the values that are driving your decisions? Are they pragmatism? Are they concrete? Are they, are they the ways of this world? Or are they Christ Jesus? Knowing Christ and Him crucified risen from the dead, doing things against the system, the Messiah we needed, not the Messiah we wanted. Let me pray. And if this prayer echoes your heart, then let it be known to God. God, we come in humility. We recognize that your heart is toward us to graft us into a new way of life. And so, Jesus, we believe in you today. We put our life-altering faith in you today, again. And we acknowledge, Jesus, you are Lord. And we think back to Romans 1, who did not see fit to acknowledge God. We see fit to acknowledge you. We see fit to acknowledge you and to love you above all else. God, we repent of the things that we hold on to, systems of this world that we hold on to, means of getting our way that we hold on to, ways of doing business that we hold on to, that are not your ways. Transform our hearts. Search us and know us. And most of all, God, Shape us into the image of your Son so that we can be witnesses of your gospel here in Bradford. In Jesus' name, amen.